Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we're going to pick up the text with verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. It fits into the larger section of 5, 15 to 21 where Paul is giving a little bit of a treatise, if you will, uh, on living a controlled life. That's really the, the topic that is over the entire section. And so starting back in 15, he says, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We said that living a controlled life is commanded, if we're gonna look at that in that verse. And then verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And we said with that, that living a controlled life involves understanding and time management. And now in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We see now thirdly today that living a controlled life means that we submit our minds to the wisdom of God. Paul says again, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're going to need to submit our minds to the wisdom of God. First thing that we see under this is that the idea of submitting to the wisdom of God is opposite the idea of being foolish. Uh, Therefore, Paul says, do not be foolish. So we want to be the opposite of a fool. We want to be wise. The Proverbs speak to fools, as do many other places in Scripture, like Psalm 14, 1, Romans 1, etc. We do not want to be counted a fool in the sight of God. Many of the activities that are subsumed under this prognosis of fool are not what the world would consider to be foolish. But we must remember that it is not the world's standard against which we are being measured, but it is God's standard. So just as the world looks at time differently and they have their own ideas, they're going to look at the revelation of God differently, and they're also going to look at what constitutes wisdom and what constitutes foolery very differently. So we have to make sure that whatever we're going to do, we uh, are doing it with a biblical worldview and a biblical paradigm, if you will, a, a grid through which we view our life and the world around us. This word for foolish is not the word from which we get moron, which we discussed earlier, and same one in Romans one twenty-two, but carries a similar idea with some nuances. Foolish, uh, doron here, means lack of prudence or good judgment, and it can even mean ignorant. So we're talking about somebody who does not have a mental capacity uh, to be able to discern what we might call common sense, prudence, right? The, the fool lacks understanding and keeps going. The, the wise one sees a lion in the streets and goes for cover, but the fool just, just lacks prudence and good judgment and just goes on ahead and, and then ends up paying for it with his life. So we don't want to be that way. And we're sort of, I mean, we're looking at this word foolish, but that's what's in view here. So when Paul says that we have to live a controlled life, and one of the ways that he says that we're going to do that is by uh, not being a fool, 
you know, and, and this is found under submitting our minds to the wisdom of God. A fool in this context is somebody who doesn't have the ability to assess the situation around him, make a wise and, and fairly quick decision that will honor the Lord. There's no good judgment. He looks at the world around him and he looks at the opportunity before him. And rather than seeing that this may lead to bad things, which could ultimately dishonor God, he says, you know what, let's give it a shot anyway. And when you do that and you, and you have the tools at your, uh, you know, they're at your beck and call, they're available to you. You have the word of God, you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have all that. And instead of weighing the decision about what you're about to do against all of those things, you just decide to go ahead. In that instance, you are being a fool according to this text because you are lacking prudence, you are lacking good judgment, or at least you're not exercising those things. So submitting to the wisdom of God is the opposite of being foolish. So now that's what not to do. Let's now consider this, that submitting to the wisdom of God necessitates being exposed to and comprehending his will. So if we don't want to be foolish, now the counter to that is the last part of the verse, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It means that we have to A, be exposed to the will of the Lord, and then we have to understand or comprehend what the will of the Lord is. The age-old question that comes up a lot in the life of believers and possibly in the lives of others who are quasi-religious is this, what is God's will for my life? Maybe you've asked that question. I know I have thought through it at different times in my life. The problem with the typical approach to the answer to that question and trying to find that answer is that we're looking for a future type of forecast, and then we're trying to tease out the different scenarios based on our choices. For instance, if I marry so-and-so, how can this be? Can I take this job? And what's that going to look like in the long term, etc.? It really is a mystery why people spend so much time trying to predict those things. That's not what's in view as far as the, the Lord's will for, for our lives. Think, for instance, of the account of the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa, Acts 26. That is the passage where Agrippa, upon hearing Paul's testimony and conversion and urgent plea to believe, says, and this is Agrippa's words here, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Acts 26, verse 28. Then when the testimony is over, Agrippa, along with Festus and Bernice, talk amongst themselves and muse that there is nothing with which they find guilt in Paul. And then listen to what they say in Acts 26, verse 32. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You know, when I was reading that section of the book of Acts, I couldn't help but think of the hypothetical discussion that one could have had over what could have been if Paul had not made that appeal to Caesar. Was he wrong to have made that appeal to the highest uh, office in the land to appeal directly to Caesar? Couldn't he have lived a little bit longer and had more ministry if he hadn't done that? In other words, we could reframe it this way. Did Paul miss the will of God for his life? And I think we'd all have to say hardly, there's no way that Paul missed the will of God for his life. In Acts 27, verse 24, 
after he's been sent on his way and is in the ship and they run into a storm and the ship is wrecked, Paul tells those on board the ship that they will be lost, but the ship will be lost, but that everyone will be saved because God had revealed to him. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So we see that it's maybe not quite how we think of these things, right? You have Agrippa and Festus and Bernice saying he could have been a free man right now because we find no guilt in him. If only he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And yet a few minutes later or a few days later, as it were, you know, Paul's on this ship and it's shipwrecked and and God comes to him in a vision and says, listen, Paul, it's okay. The ship is going to be lost, but no lives are going to be lost. It is my will for you to stand before Caesar. And so, you know, things aren't always the way we plan them. And it so happened that it it seems to be, and history bears this out, that the will of God for Paul's life was not only to stand before Caesar, but then to die as a martyr there. And he never was freed after that. Once he was in that Roman jail cell, he died in that Roman jail cell. And that was perfectly within the will of God. So the first thing that we need to understand about God's will then you know, if we're going to be exposed to God's will and we're going to comprehend it, where do we look for God's will? Well, the scripture would give us indication of that. And that's really the first answer that God has given us his will in the word of God. If we're going to obey verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is, it all comes back to this. We've said it before. We need to be good students of the word of God. He has given us his will in the word of God. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So now we find that the word of God has granted to us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. And you say, well, wait a second. The word of God doesn't tell me about what specific person I should marry or what job I should take or where I should live in the world. That's right. It doesn't. But it is sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's will is for you to live godly. God's will is for you to live holy. God's will is for you to abstain from sexual immorality and all kinds of other things in the scripture, right? So he has told us how to live our life. He just hasn't told us all the specifics of the that and all the outworkings of that. Here's what uh, David says in Psalm 37, 4. Uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I think we could say here that the key to discerning the will of the Lord is delighting yourself in him. You want to know the Lord's will? Delight in him. It doesn't mean that you're doing that to, to be manipulative, to gain something, You just find your joy in the Lord and your delight in him. And pretty soon, guess what? His desires are going to be your desires, your desires to please him. And all of a sudden that is your desire. And he's eager to grant that. And so discerning the will of the Lord by delighting in him is not something that you do in a vacuum. You don't sit with a blank mind in your home or 
or go out on a walk and just come up with your own ideas about who God is or, uh, you know, what he is like and what he might like from you. You don't just decide that and you say, well, I was on a walk and I had this great idea that God would like me to do this. That That's not discerning what God uh, would like from you. The way that you delight in the Lord is to spend time in his word and in prayer that is shaped and molded by the same word. That's not, again, empty, vacuous praying. It's not praying in some unknown tongue and just, uh, you know, just vain babbling, as it were. It's, it's not that. It's praying according to the word, prayer shaped by the word. Obeying all that has been commanded is a tangible way to demonstrate your delight in your creator, God. Abstaining from every form of evil, putting off malice, putting off anger, putting off covetousness, wrath, evil speech, sexual immorality, putting on the truth, pursuing righteousness, being one who forgives instead of harboring jealousy, being one who does not take vengeance, being one who walks by faith and not by sight. These things are all found in the word of God and doing them or not doing them, as the word would indicate, demonstrates your delight in the word and and in the Lord. And I hope that you see that I took all those from, you know, various scriptures and just kind of pieced them together. So we then come to this conclusion that his will and his word are inseparably linked. His will and his word are inseparably linked. In other words, his will is not something different than what's found in his word, and his word is not different from his will. They are inseparably linked. They, they go together. So if you are going to be one who understands what the will of the Lord is, because you are you recognize that submitting to the wisdom of God necessitates being exposed to and comprehending his will, and that he has given us his will in the word of God, his will and the word are inseparably linked. Here's what Paul says to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1, 9-14. We have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. His will and his word are inseparably linked. You think through this passage that we just read, you would have no knowledge of these things of bearing fruit in every good work. How do you define good? Where do you increase in spiritual wisdom and understanding? Where do we learn of redemption? Where do we learn of the forgiveness of sins except the eternal word of God? Then we can begin to give proper thanks to God the Father in verse 12, right? In Colossians 1 verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Well, I can't do that until I understand these doctrinal things that he's set before me. And the other things, those doctrinal things, I can't understand unless I'm in the word of God and I have a, a way to understand them and a context to understand those things right? Then we begin to give proper thanks to God. In other words, you can't do any of the things that God has commanded you to do apart from the word of God. His will and his word are inseparably linked. And the more that we read the word, the more that we will comprehend his will and understand what the will of the Lord is and then be able to obey. 
And so I think we'll leave that discussion there, but recognize that as Paul has called us to live a controlled life, it now means thirdly, that we will submit our minds to the wisdom of God. And the only way to do that again is to be a diligent student of the word of God. We'll pick it up next time as we dive in to verses 18 through 21. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.